Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Happy at Work podcast. I am excited to have with us Kim Jackson, who is the director of e-commerce for Harley Davidson. Welcome, Kim, to the Happy at Work podcast. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. So we are going to jump right in because you have had an amazing career. And so I know when people ask this question, tell me about your career or tell me about your career journey. It's kind of a tough one, but maybe give us a few of the highlights that have brought you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. It, it is. It's a tough one. Um, I think to just kind of wrap it up into a story, when I look back at my career and everything that I've experienced, I knew really at a young age, it all kind of makes sense. I was always, always obsessed with watching people shop and understanding what they do. So that transpired into going to Syracuse University, uh, majoring in retail management, getting recruited to May Company, which is now, um, it's a, it was a department store that had a really fantastic executive training program where um, I spent eight years there and I was working in really high fast areas with lots of negotiation and different vendors and personalities. And you had to make decisions really quickly and move. Um, After working there and getting a ton of great experience, I moved over to Talbot's because I was really interested in learning about a vertical retailer. So that is somebody that not only creates their own product, that is the only place you can buy that product. complete, great experience, did it through most of my time there was in international. So working in three different countries, um, learning about how they sell versus the US. Um, So there was a a lot of opportunity to um, test and learn and react quickly. Then spent my last year with Talbot's in catalog. So had that experience under my belt moved to Puma, where if you were buying directly from Puma in the US, you were buying from my group. Um, Within that, not only was I responsible for full price brick and mortar on the merchandising side, but e-commerce and e-commerce was just starting to bud and grow. And then outlets, factory outlets, and really worked to take Puma's outlets from what was a clearance center to making it one of the most profitable streams that are in the industry today. Um, from Puma, I went to Alex and Ani, which has a fantastic story of a company that grew to $400 million in four years. And when you have a startup company that grows that fast, um, they need process. So I started the merchandising division for them there. 
And um, we were able to do a lot of wonderful things because that company has a great mission. And after Alex and Ani, I went to Jay Jill and Jay Jill was the first time that I actually was not responsible for building assortments. I was responsible for figuring out how to sell them online. And that opened up a whole new data set and a whole new, um, how do we storytell across all different pillars of business. And from there, I'm currently at Harley Davidson and I'm the director of e-commerce. But within that, I am the business lead for a new initiative that was just launched last Monday called HD Collections that will not be available until March 9th. So we are building a website. We are creating marketing. We are making new product and we are targeting a different consumer for this brand. You've had like nine lives. This is so cool. You have been to like so many uh, household names that that's amazing. Uh, I want to ask a question about culture. So you've worked at so many places uh, and I'm sure that you know, international, domestic, on your experience, what do you think are some really important aspects that you believe would create a positive workplace culture? Any recipes? You know, I think that it's it's really personal. So fit is critically important for any company that you're in. And different companies have different mindsets of how they want to do business. I will say that for me, authenticity is key. And any time that I've tried to adjust how I lead and how I work with others to fit into a culture, it has been a fail. So I think you have to find, even when you are interviewing, you really have to spend a lot of time understanding what makes you thrive and making sure that the company believes in that type of leadership. So Kim, I think what you just brought up is really important because whenever um, I talk to students and and I you know, give them whatever advice I'm going to give them uh, as they graduate and move on. I'm always like, just go out there and start experiencing jobs, get work, like just start doing things. And you'll, you'll learn throughout that process as much as what you want uh, as you don't want. And uh, when you think about all of those different experiences, and you just said, when I don't really consider the culture and the fit that that's a fail um what, you know without giving any names of course but what are some of the the types of negative experiences that you've had in workplace cultures that you know have have kind of left a negative had a negative consequence for you or that you've seen that managers things that managers have done that have um you know really worked against their efforts to try to build a cohesive team yeah, I think for me, um, how I work best is I work really well in a collaborative environment where um, we're able to fail on our own, learn from it, quickly pivot and move. Where I get stuck is when there are managers where 
if if a person has to say, if a person isn't making a move because they are afraid that their manager won't like it, I think that we are squashing creativity. So as as a worker, no matter no matter what level you're in, that's your role and you should own it and feel empowered by it. So if you don't own it, so a good example would be for me is people that I manage. If if there's a decision to be made and I look at um, their idea versus my idea, if there is not a distinct risk to the business, I go with their idea 99.9% of the time because now they're invested. And we're going to learn, hey, what it was my, I want to learn too. I hired them or they're on this greater team for a reason. We brought them in for their expertise. And I think that's so important. And that's how you work together and you cheer each other on. And I don't forget anything. I remember who everybody's idea is. And I'll, you know, and we talk about it afterwards. I had a boss at Talbot's and we would make like, mini, we we would take that and we would do like a, like a mini bet. Like, well, I bet that this, you know, not a monetary, but I bet that this is going to work or this is going to sell. And then in the end, we'd hindsight, we'd be like, you know, good for you. Glad we did this. So, you know, I love that type of partnership. I think that works well for a lot of people. So what you're describing, I think, is we talk a lot on this podcast around about um, the theme of psychological safety and being able to create that safe environment where people can not fear failing and that they can take calculated risks and that there's a sense of trust and empowerment so that they can speak up and share ideas and, and so forth. So, you know, when you think about where you are today in your career, you just, you know, talked as a manager as as to, you know, encouraging people to bring their ideas to the table and to really take those risks. What else um, would you say helps to create that psychologically safe environment? Is there anything like the company can do or other things that managers can do to, to give people the opportunity, the space to grow, learn, take risks and so forth? Yeah, I think that um, what has always worked for me in the past is really getting to know my manager and understanding, you know, getting to know them on a level. So um, for people just starting out, this was something that I did at my first role. I was lucky I got to go to a lot of meetings, you know, with, with heavy, large cosmetic companies. And I had a seat at that table. However, I was an assistant buyer at the time, so I would take notes. And those notes weren't just things that I had to follow up on. They were notes like, hey, you made this comment and the VP looked at you in this way. What did that mean? So now I set aside a time with my manager and I go through like just understanding those nonverbal cues is just as important as getting your work done because that's how you know when you do sit in that meeting how you can contribute, what gaps need to be filled, what value are you bringing? And I think a manager can help with fit in a company. I mean, we have our, 
a, a leader is no different than, um, you know, it's a partner, whatever that partner is. So you want to make sure that you have that connection with them where you almost can, like, I can walk in and say, all right, this is something I want to, I want to make this decision. I wasn't sure, or I could make a decision and know that my manager backed me up. But until you have these conversations, how would you know? Because you don't know your manager. So I am in constant contact with my team all the time. We are talking. And I am that, and that as a manager, your role is to remove roadblocks for the people you work with. So I love how you do the observation. Like we started the podcast, you said your initial interest in the industry was just kind of watching people, observing them, like how do they buy and why? And then like watching the body language of when your boss gets a response from their boss and what was that about? So I like your, I like your observation skills. I want to now ask about Harley Davidson, where you're working now. Totally iconic brand. Uh, You have lifelong fans there. What are the values of Harley Davidson that you feel are really there that when you walk in there to work, like you really feel that that those values are being operationalized? So we have, we have values, we have leadership values. They are used. Now I am seven months in and from day one, you feel the collaboration, the teamwork, your we all the the company is built and run that we all win or nobody wins. It's not it it, it is we are working and I'll I'll give you like this this great example that just to me it was it was a moment for me. I was I don't even think I'd been there for 2 weeks and I had to present to the CEO this collections line. So it was a business update and I had to present two weeks in. I don't even know the people I'm working with at this point. So I met with the chief digital officer, who is my ultimate boss and the GM and my partner in data analytics. And we started talking about this presentation and I they must have just seen my face on Zoom and and the chief digital officer said, Kim, this, this presentation will be built for you. People will walk you through their parts so you can present it. We got you. We're all going to be there. It's going to be fine. And fast forward from that one presentation i think a month later i need to present i needed to present something else to the ceo that was something that i had created and it was like a real broad stroke of hey this is how i'm seeing the financial flow by month and he said yeah he said i trust you it that company is like 5.7 billion dollars and to have that trust like that you're, you know, two months in or two weeks in that that's magic. Like you want to be there. There's, 
there's no words that I can say when, and we meet as a group at this point, because we're so close to launch, we're meeting daily as a group. That is so that we can remove roadblocks with each other. They're like one team. And, and I, and I say that like coming from such a like deep place, that's what I feel there. And we're brutally honest with each other. And it's, but we all leave smiling. Nobody leaves like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great vibe. And we move fast and done is better than perfect. And I'm throwing like a lot of like little, little taglines out at you, but it's better to move and get it done than have it surgically perfect. We can go back when we're live. And, you know, where we can go back and tweak it because we're very nimble. I think that that is, um, that's really interesting what you're bringing up because uh, I've been working with colleagues on research that looks at change and in, in what's happening in the environment, in the, in the market, in the work, in the, you know, work environment today as it relates to change. And agility and keeping a learning environment and psychological safety and collaboration. Like these are major themes that are emerging right now versus that kind of, as well as uh, progress over perfection, right? Versus that let's get everything perfect before we kind of move forward. So I, I really love that that I agile mindset that it seems like the folks at Harley have um, with regards to employee engagement, we talk a lot about employee engagement. So keeping people engaged in their jobs, it sounds I mean, you've already given a few tips as to how through this collaborative environment, you stay connected, you remove roadblocks, but what are other things that you've seen throughout your career that really works to keep, uh, young, especially young people, but, uh, your team engaged in their job every day? Um, so we, we there is at Harley. I'm I'm actually really astounded by all of the ways that they're trying to engage. We are a company that recently went 100% remote, so I have this opportunity today because the company decided to go remote. The CEO basically told everybody they had to, even if they were local, the building is closed. And that space is being reimagined to give back to Milwaukee. And you can kind of go online and look at what they're doing with that space. Um, So being remote, we're all on the same playing field now. So what I, I kind of want to pivot this into what helps and has always helped with my career and being engaged is there are a lot of different things that I'm interested in beyond what my current role is. I insert myself in those things. And I do that in a way to say, hey, so for example, with with my with my director right now, I'm interested in off price. Well, I'm actually not even touching. There is no promotion in what I'm what I'm working on now. But Harley-Davidson does manage lots of inventory. So I just said, if there's ever something that I can do, and you know, a month ago, he just said to me, guess what? 
you're on. Like there, there's a group, they're starting a group, they're doing some fact finding. I signed you up. So now I'm engaging with other people within this big company. And I just met four other people that I would never meet. So to me, like we're always so much more than the job that we have. And it's our responsibility. It's not, I don't look at it as the company can cultivate that for sure, but we're all responsible for our own development and our own career because it's us. I would, I'm going to chime in. I think companies today should be cultivating that a lot more just because especially, I mean, I think you're like where you are in your career, Kim, I think you're, you know, very evolved on that front for younger generations. That's what they're seeking is the opportunity to find new opportunities to work cross-functionally, to learn about new things. And I think companies that cultivate those types of learning opportunities and experiential type um, opportunities to to try new things, I think do that helps with the retention of, especially of young people. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. So just to be clear, like I've been behaving this way since I was 21. Yeah. (laughs) That's who I am. But for example, with Harley Davidson, we have, you know, we have a town hall meeting every, and we have, um, we have certain committees and these committees come on and they're like, please come join us. And it's, it's such a, you know, they, they're all fighting over people in like a fun way. Um, and, you know, so we have three different development committees and it's, and it's broken into like, oh, would you like, we have some, we have a platform called Degreed. So it's a, so it's an online learning platform. So um, they really need not only people that are interested in, you know, building, they, they need technical people that can actually populate things online. So if you're technical or want to under, you know, or want to do more with data, that would be a way for you to contribute to something that gives back. There's lots of different options in that way too, for an example. You know, Kim, it seems that between you you and Tessa chatting and her research at Corn Ferry on, on Gen Z and their interest in growth opportunities and and it, it actually happening at Harley Davidson. I think this is a solution to quiet quitting, letting people pick their growth opportunity. Put your nose in, raise your hand, don't stay in your lane. I, I think I think there's something interesting with that. I mean, there's only so much like th- this is there there needs to be and so let me give you another example. I am a certified strengths coach. And the platform that I use is um, from Catfinity and it's called the Strengths Profile. Okay. I wholeheartedly believe everybody should take this. It equates your strengths with the joy that you have while you're leveraging them. And it's a real great way to learn about yourself. So I went to a different company and said, hey, I have just become a strengths assessment coach. I would love to help others. And the response that I got was, you know what? We have people that that are really um that do this. We, you know, and she and I went to human resources and I was shunned away. And 
And I do this for colleges. I, you know, I have mentors. I give this all day long to young adults and they, I would have done it. I would have done it for not only people that work there, but if they had a spouse or they had a child, I would have done it. I wanted to just do it. That's my give back, but they didn't want it. So you have to, you know, that would have, but now at Harley, I brought it up and now there's a meeting with four people. They want to learn more. So it's, that's the company culture. That's the happiness at work. Yeah. You, you got to go where you're welcomed. Absolutely. Uh, so let's chat a little bit about the new fashion line. Uh, yeah. How is it going? How is it keeping with the brand, with, with the brand that uh, you're trying to maintain? Tell us, so, tell us what you can. Yeah, I can tell you what I can because it's all been announced it goes live on March 9th, hdcollections.com. Basically, Harley Davidson, 120 years old this year. And when we look at the business, and um, I know within Tessa's book, we learned that um, Harley Davidson is one of the most tattooed logos on the human body. And I think. You know, everybody knows it. And even if you don't ride, there is really something great about the spirit of it. So what this particular business is, is it goes beyond the current customer. So we're leveraging our brand affinity and we are targeting our current customer um, who may be looking for a higher level of fashion or an elevated experience within heritage product. So we have, it's called HD collections, but within that we are, we are running with three. Currently we will open with three different collections. One of them is high fashion we presented and rolled this out during Fashion Week. It is it uses, for example, leather that is the highest quality of leather that biking, you would use in biking only. It's more lifestyle. We are also launching with something called Originals, and that takes our real logos but it bring it modernizes the styling into today and the quality into day, today's fabrics. And then we have something called authorized vintage, where we've worked with vintage curators and historians, and we are bringing back pre-loved product. And we are authorizing, we, you know, we're putting, it comes with a seal and we have gone, we have vetted it. We know its value and there's a story behind it. So this is a high touch, high storytelling initiative. And then we will start to roll out with collaborations and influencers. And um, it's just a way to include more people that may not own a bike, but really love the spirit of what we have to offer and to blow out motor, motor culture. I, I love this. I want to ask a little bit more about um, the impact of the culture that this has had on your customers. Like, like you really stopped me in my tracks when you said it's the most tattooed logo. 
And I believe it. I've I've seen it a million times. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen the Apple logo. I've never seen a Bitcoin or a yeah. NFT. Why? Why? Why are people doing? Like, how are you connecting so much that people would literally tattoo themselves on their body? I mean, this is the brand. The brand is about adventure. The brand is about togetherness. All of the all of the things that we just talked about, that spirit, um, leaning in, judgment-free, um, being simple, having fun, you know, being agile. Like these are these are all, I think these are things that people really aspire in their heart in some way. We're giving people permission to be who they are. And when you um, go to a rally, you could see everybody, everybody is welcome. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And when you start to, when you start to go and look at some of these riders, they are amazing creators. Like Harley Davidson, a lot of it is about customization. They're customizing their bikes. They're customizing their wardrobes. I mean, it, it's powerful. It's powerful to see all these people come together. It's um, it's so cool. And uh, thanks for the shout out about the book because as I do talk, it means business. Yes, I do talk about Harley because it really is one of those brands that is an extension of someone's own personal brand, and it, it really can it becomes very uh, personal. That purpose of the brand is really been curated over how old is it a hundred over a hundred years the Harley 120 years this year 120 years so that's right you're heading out to Milwaukee this summer to celebrate yes. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry go ahead what were we gonna say no, there, there's a big um in July there will be a big homecoming event they have it every five years um big festivals with great bands and it's going to be such a great opportunity to bring everybody together. I mean, we sold thousands of tickets within minutes of it going on sale. So That's it's it's such it's an inclusive event too. Yeah. So um, this has been a, a very fast half hour. So as we close out, I'm going to ask you one final question, which is, I know you do a lot of mentoring for young people um, and you work with a lot of different universities in the Boston area. What is, what's kind of your staple piece of advice if you're going to leave our listeners with a piece of advice when they're thinking about their own careers, or maybe they're, you know, in a transition right now with between jobs or something along those lines, kind of what's your advice to them? Yeah. So my advice is, is this, it's when when we when we're reading LinkedIn or when we're listening to podcasts or when we're watching famous people on TV, whatever it is, we tend to only hear the good. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes or the personal battles that they've need to fight or the resilience that they've need needed to show. Like, I will tell you, I've been laid off. I have been let go. I mean, I have been fired. But I'm not, I'm telling you this today because I want everybody to feel like, yeah, it's a journey. The barometer, the, the tool for that journey is a mirror. 
And I had a, I had a boss at Talbots that said to me, really, it's, I decide I, it resonated. You have to look at yourself in the mirror every day. You have to like what you see. And I think that's where the authenticity comes into play. And I will tell you, sometimes you look in that mirror and you're like, boy, did I mess up. That's your chance to fix it. And if you can't fix that direct thing, fix something, make something else better so that that mirror becomes your judge. That's your judge and jury, what you see in yourself. And that's why like the strengths assessment, know what you're made of. Give yourself credit every day to say, I used this strength and I did a great job or, hey, I did this, not such a great job, but I'll do better next time. I think that, you know, I think that's where we all are today. I think that's amazing advice. I think that's amazing advice for leaders to hear. I wish there were a lot more leaders who are more reflective about their own journeys and uh, had perhaps more empathy for those around them, realizing that everyone's everyone's got their, their story uh, that led them to where they are today and that we have to have a little bit of grace in in the way that we work with others and and demonstrate that level of empathy. So I know that Kim uh Harley Davidson's lucky to have you and we were lucky to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was it was awesome to to hear you uh share your stories and to share some lessons that you've learned along the way. Thank you. I enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.